The unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates said that. I would say the unexamined life is not only not worth living, it is dangerous. Because presumption is an insidious and deceptive sin. Recently you've seen publicly some famous people falling away from the faith. Josh Harris, who authored I Kiss Dating Goodbye, former megachurch pastor, said this, By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Hillsong writer Marty Sampson, I am genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. I hope someday it does, because it will. See, today we're taking the Lord's Supper and as I thought about those recent events and thought about faith and what it is to know the Lord, thought about celebrating the Supper. Yes, I want to show us the seriousness of the Supper, but not such that you're afraid to take it. Unless you shouldn't take it. Right? But the Lord's warnings are there for our good and to build us up. One of the ways He works through us is through warnings. And His children with the Spirit indwelling take those warnings seriously and heed them and are protected and grow. We want to grow in, always reforming. We want to be faithful to rightly observe the the sacraments of the ordinances that He has given us. Only two in the New Testament church, baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. I mean, the reformers said that the, this was one of the marks of the true church. The, the sacraments is rightly observed and administrated. And I think one of the things that can tend to fall away in current culture and, and current ways of observing the supper is, is this matter of examination. This matter of self-examination. And so I thought I'd bring that out this morning because a major part of our participation in the Lord's Supper should be self-examination. What is it? How do we do it? What is its purpose? Just a few things that I wanted to address this morning before we take the Lord's Supper. But I want you to see, main point, just take it away. Faithful participation in the Lord's Supper requires that we examine ourselves and in this way grow in grace. Examine ourselves and grow in grace because the Lord is here to serve us, to feed us, to grow us in grace as, we are, as His Word goes forth and then especially as we uh, communicate uh, the truth of his, his death in the Supper as we celebrate that. He is really present spiritually at the table serving us his sacrifice, but not in a fleshly carnal way. But anyway, but I want you to see, first of all, self-examination in the supper. Maybe, maybe we've never even thought about this. Listen, I've been to churches where at, during the final song, it's sort of a self-serve event where people just run to the front, take it. And I mean, I don't think that's a biblical way to do the Lord's Supper. 
That it's, it's to be done in union. You see that here. Waiting on one another in this text. And eating together. Showing forth the unity that we have in Christ. One Savior. One body. Broken for us. Blood shed for us. You know, we need to go over and lead people through. Words of institution is what this, the verse we'll see. 23 through 26. But today, examining ourselves. Look at the duty. And I call it a duty for a reason because in, here, in this text, it's a command. In verse 28, let a person examine himself and then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. Examine for what? Conversion. The presence of faith. And repentance. Not perfection. I'll talk about that later. But it is our duty to examine ourselves. This is a command. As a warning here. I'll, let me just step aside. Some people have wondered. And, and wh wh why do we do what we call fencing the table? Why after. Before we participate in the Lord's Supper. Why would I give a warning. Which I do every time if I'm faithful. To say if you're not a Christian. Don't eat the the meal if you're rebelling against God and holding some sin and refusing to repent don't eat the meal right why would I do that well I'm explaining that to you this morning the Lord takes seriously the supper it is a communication of grace it is about the gospel which is grace but it is it is it is a serious thing too for us to know that we are in Christ and know that we are devoted to Christ as we take the supper, that we don't presume, that we don't abuse as was going on in Corinth. But it says in verse 28, let a person examine himself or herself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. So we have a duty to examine ourselves and I'll go more into that later. You see it in verse 30. I mean, but in verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And it, the, the, there was a serious situation going on in Corinth. Listen, it, it, was, it had gone from communion to sort of this banquet party where, where the people who had, who had resources kind of kept them to themselves and, and, and pigged out while others were hungry. Some even got drunk in the midst. So there was a real abuse of the supper going on. But the bottom line of it is that it was threatening the unity of the church. They were failing to recognize the body and operate in unity with body. They were failing to honor and love and, and in this sin way anyway, follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was not all unbelievers who were doing this. I mean, you can see that from the text that I read. He said, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. God's discipline. So I don't want to scare you out of receiving the Lord's Supper, but I want you to use it as what it is, a means of grace to examine yourself and to see if, if there's really fruit of faith there, if there's really a heart that loves Jesus and loves His people and wants to live for Him. So we are commanded in verse 28 to examine ourselves and it is alluded to that if we judged ourselves or examined ourselves, we would avoid some serious consequences of not doing that. See, they were not examining themselves. They were, they were, they were indulging themselves <laughs> at the expense of the gospel and at the expense of the unity of the church. So this is, this is the serious side 
of the Lord's Supper. The adults are crying too. It's just not external. <laughs> the serious side of the Lord's Supper this, us, is us taking it seriously. Heeding His command to examine ourselves. And I just want to show you a couple of other texts before we talk about how to do it. I want to show you a couple other texts in the New Testament that talk about examining ourselves and, and bring out a few things about that. But 2 Corinthians, same apostle, same church, later date, says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Um, he says this, look at this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? See what we're supposed to see and rejoice in and grow through when we examine ourselves and we see evidence of a work of the Spirit, then we're encouraged and know that Christ by His Spirit is living in us. So, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So, like in 1 Corinthians, here in 2 Corinthians, this examine yourselves is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an every once in a while thing either. Because it's a present active command. Which means it's an ongoing command. It's a, it's a thing to be repeated. It's, a, it's not just a one-shot deal. See, a lot of our evangelism would thwart this when, when someone preaches a, a, a gospel sermon and invites you to pray a prayer and then says something to you like, okay, never doubt it. Well, I've not lived that life. I've had tons of time when I doubted it. Right? But that's why we need to examine ourselves and we do it in a, through the Word and we, if we're believers, we see fruit of the Spirit and we're encouraged. And maybe we're not believers, we see and come to realize that and God uses it to turn us to Christ. But this examine yourselves command is a present active command. It's a continual command. We're to be continually examining ourselves, not just once and especially in light of the Supper when we take the Lord's Supper. Think about this, physical health. You know, to maintain our physical health, we, we or we should, I'm rebuking myself a little bit now, go get a yearly physical, right? We get regular checkups. We do what's called preventative maintenance on, on ourselves, or we should. We go for a yearly physical or a yearly dental exam, regular examination, and the goal is not to destroy health, it's preserve it, that it might flourish. Well, the same thing with spiritual examination. The goal is not to destroy faith unless there's none there. It's that it might flourish. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians and he says in 2 Corinthians, and you see it in 13.5, that we have a duty, an ongoing duty, to examine ourselves. To see if we be in the faith. To see if we love Jesus. To see if we're rebelling against Him in some way that needs to be repented of. So you see it a duty, a command from 2 Corinthians 35. Now how about this? This is the one, when I, when I saw, when I heard um, these guys publicly, and listen, this happens all the time. These are just public examples. The, the parable of the soils. There are a lot of different soils and they're not, they're not all true. But when I heard these guys doing this, and Josh Harris, and, and I pray that he's just backslidden. I pray that, that he will repent 
and this other fellow and many others. But I thought of this verse when I heard that. And, and you hear people asking, well, no, he, he preached and he taught and he wrote books. And maybe you'd have somebody even say, I was saved under his ministry. He has to be a Christian. Well, no, it wasn't him that saved you. It's the gospel. It's Christ that saves you. That's scary for preachers like me that you can, you, you can do this and not be true. Don't think I'm not supposed to examine myself. Right? But I thought of this verse, and if you want to know why people fall away, this verse tells us. If you want to know what we're watching out for, this verse tells us. Hebrews 3.12. And in the book of Hebrews, the, the, the Jewish believers are being encouraged to hold fast their confession in Christ, even through very difficult times. And it's Paul's theology through the pen of Luke, I believe, if you wonder who wrote Hebrews. I think Luke wrote it and it was Paul's theology. That was free. You don't have to agree with it. <clears throat> because we're not told explicitly. Hebrews 3.12 Take care, brethren, really, brothers. That word's being used generically. That would encompass the whole church, male and female. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, watch, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What leads us to fall away from the living God? An evil, unbelieving heart. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything flows from the heart, right? The, the life reveals the heart. Watch out. Another translation puts it. Watch out. Beware, brothers. Beware, sisters. Beware, church. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And this too is a present active command. We are to always be watching out. Always be bewaring, if that's not a word. But always be serious about watching out for an unbelieving heart. Listen, this is not talking about occasional doubt. Okay? This is talking about a continual and growing, festering unbelief. And maybe you're masking it over, but when you're honest with yourself, what's inside is not faith, it's unbelief. And that will eventually flower into falling away from the living God. Can you come to church and have an evil, unbelieving heart? Oh, you bet. Can you preach? Yeah, we've seen that down through history. Right? Can, you, can you give to the church and read the Bible and, and maybe even talk to people about Jesus and have an evil, unbelieving heart? I mean, Josh Harris would prove all of that. But this is not an occasional doubt. Listen, I don't know a believer who doesn't doubt sometimes. You know why? Because we're not glorified yet. Therefore, we're not perfected yet. Therefore, our faith is not perfect yet. But even, I can tell you that the times I've grown the most is in the midst of a question or a struggle. That now some of them, a lot of them seem silly. But, I, you know, there's this doubt and I would, I would, instead of running from the faith in those, if the Spirit's at work, He'll draw you in. Even if you don't get the answer, He, he will keep you. But the two men I mentioned in the intro, unless they repent, and I pray that they do, are what the church would call down through the ages apostates. And they have fallen away from the faith for good. And that's a scary thing. 
And some of them blame the church. I mean, you listen to them. Well, people couldn't answer my questions. Like, seriously. So you listen to MacArthur and Sproul and, uh, and, and you read all the... No. It's just this, it's just this, I mean, listen, I'm going to say this, and I might, and some of you may not like this. If you are in the context of Hillsong, I can understand why your questions didn't get answered. It's not a solid theological place to be. Do they have some good music? Yeah. But the theology is horrid. But, you know, sovereign grace is where Harris came out of. And he, to be honest, he didn't say nobody can answer his question. But some do blame the church and they blame Christians and they say they lack answers. And, but what's the issue? We see it in he, it's an evil, unbelieving heart. And an evil, unbelieving heart is what we're supposed to watch out for. And that's why we're supposed to examine ourselves, especially in, this, in the context of taking the Lord's Supper. Watch out for an evil, unbelieving heart. One of the ways the Lord protects and preserves and grows His children is through warnings. And that's what's in Hebrews. That's what's in 1 Corinthians, right? Think about how, what kind of a lawsuit would you have if the, if the county didn't put a sign up that said bridge out and you, if you survived and you drove in the hole. Warnings are a good thing. We need to know when danger is ahead. We need to know what to watch out for. We need to know when, when deers are crossing and, and curves are coming, and especially when bridges are out and things like that. Listen, in the context of storms, I'm taking a rabbit. I'll kill it quickly. If there's water in the road, don't you drive through it. You don't know if the road's still there. And once you get swept away, But warnings are a good thing and God uses warnings to preserve and protect His children like signs on the road. Bridge out. We heed them. But I want you to remember that the goal is growth. The goal is strength. The goal is assurance, not doubt. So I'm going to try to help us examine ourselves in a way that will promote assurance and not doubt. We have enough doubt already, right? But I want to do it in such a way that, that, that we'll be faithful to the Lord and be really examining ourselves. People have been saved in this context of being challenged to examine themselves. And they did and they thought, wow, I don't have any faith really. And they repented and were saved. Or the flip side of it, and I can relate to this many times, not thinking you have faith. Not having any assurance. And yet, going to the Word and looking like in a place like 1 John and having the Spirit confirm you and strengthen you. So we want to examine ourselves in a way that glorifies God, in a way that is good for us, in a way that's in line with His Word and helps us honor Christ, honor the unity of the body, honor the sacrifice that's been made for us. And down on just the real practical level. Helps us know whether or not we're in the faith. Paul said examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So I want to suggest a few things. This is a shorter sermon. You, you know, we're having communion. So at least I say that now. So we'll see.
But I, I want to give you a few things, to, uh, uh, sort of a, a way to examine yourself that God willing will help it be fruitful in the way that He wants it to be. So how do we examine ourselves? First, prayer. Prayer. Look at Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Ask God to search you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Why, why do I need God to do that? Because the Scripture tells me that my heart is deceitful, right? That it will lie to me. It will confirm me sometimes when I shouldn't be confirmed. It will convict me sometimes when I shouldn't be convicted too. So God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That could be a model prayer for us every time we examine ourselves. Lord, search me. Show me. Lead me. Deliver me from what it calls grievous ways, sinful ways, self-centered ways. Search me and know me. Try my heart. Be intimately involved with Him. I mean, He knows our thoughts before we think of them. With my thoughts, so that you might show me where my sin is. Convict me. You know what that's praying for? Convict me where I need it. Are you scared to pray that? Listen, some people say, don't pray for patience because trials are coming. Trials are coming anyway. Just because you avoid praying for patience don't mean you won't have any trials in your life. If you're God's child, He's going to convict you anyway. But this is the hard attitude we need to have. God, here is my heart. Try it. And show me where I'm failing. Show me where I need to repent. Show me that I know you. And what's in the way of me glorifying you? So I would suggest that you start in prayer and you notice it doesn't have to be a long one. Sometimes when we're feeling dead inside and feeling in trouble and feeling like we have no faith, we don't feel like we can pray. We're looking at our, you notice the word I kept repeating? Feelings. I won't sing it. Just pray something like this. Search me and know me and try me. So start with prayer. Secondly, trust God to be faithful. Secondly, confess and forsake any known sins and receive His forgiveness. Again, Psalms. Confess and forsake any known sins and receive His forgiveness. Second sort of suggestion when we're examining ourselves. Psalm 32, 5 and 6. Now watch this. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let, now watch this, let everyone who is godly offer prayer, this kind of prayer, to you at a time when you may be found. So I've asked God to search my heart. I've confessed to Him what He's revealed. Even some of the things I was trying to hold on to and justify. But if I'm thinking correctly, I know they're outside of His will, they're against His word. So pray for God to search you. Trust that He will. Confess your sins. What has He promised? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us most of our sins, right? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So pray and confess. Now this, this may help you more than anything else. I'm not sure. This would have helped me a long time ago. But this third one, I want to I almost shout to you. Look for perfection only in Christ. 
Look for perfection only in Jesus. Because if we're examining ourselves and we hold perfection up just between us and it, we're done. Look at this. I'll give you some verses from Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Some of us won't even own our weaknesses or confess them. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now watch this. Yet without sin. Only one to ever do that. He fulfilled all righteousness. Now watch what his attitude is toward his children. Let us then with confidence. Confidence where? In him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of judgment. Throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, we have a, her, a perfect high priest who gave in to no sin, who fulfilled all righteousness, and who sacrificed himself to pay for our sin debt, to take the judgment due us onto him. So our sins are fully and completely dealt with through his sacrifice, and his perfect righteous standing is ours before God. So his throne to, God's throne to his children is a throne of grace, it's a throne of mercy. Dads, if, you're, if your son or daughter had been doing something wrong and you have had to discipline for that and you're sitting in your chair in the living room or whatever chair you sit in and they come running in the room with tears in your eyes and jump in your lap, would you reject them? They're saying, Dad, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Man, you cry too, right? Come on, guys. We do that too. His arms are open to you. His throne is a throne of grace for you. It's where you find mercy and grace to help in your time of need. Because Christ is perfect for you if you're trusting in Him. Not if you're not. But look for perfection only in Jesus. Extend grace to yourself when you're examining yourself as long as your life is matching up. So, pray, confess your sins, receive His forgiveness, look to Christ and the perfection that is in Him. Warning, number four, don't look to your feelings. I alluded to this earlier. Because I used to do this all the time. Am I a Christian? How do I feel? Nope, not one. What happens to your life if you live by your feelings? You ever been to an amusement park and rode a roller coaster? That's what it's going to look like. Because you have the train turned around. The caboose is pulling. And the caboose is feelings. Right? What did the deacon tell Charles Spurgeon when he was converted? Look to Christ. Not to feelings. Look to the Word. You are not the ground of your assurance. So look for perfection in Christ. Don't look to feelings. Number five, rest in His grace. Man, there has to be grace involved in self-examination. If you're a legalist and you extend no grace, you'll either come out proud or defeated. Look to Christ. Rest in His grace. 
1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Now watch, and this is gospel. And if you don't know Jesus, this is the gospel. This is true, proved by His resurrection. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That's Old Testament Scriptures. That's another sermon series. And He was buried. And He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And it's through that good news that you are saved if you trust in Jesus. And it's all by grace. Ephesians 2. Rest in God's grace. First Peter says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, that doesn't mean not being drunk. It means thinking rightly, right? Don't be drunk, but don't take that from this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Now, what is, what is right thinking? Now watch this. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My hope is fully, if I'm thinking right, my hope is fully in Jesus. His perfect life. His sacrificial death. His glorious resurrection. He has justified me by bringing me to repentance and trusting in Him. Turning and trusting in Jesus. He is growing me. It's a work of God's grace. Growing me into the image of Jesus. And He will finish that work when He returns. I will be like Him. And you will too if you're trusting in Him. So set your hope fully on His grace. Fully on free salvation in Christ. Because He lived for you, died for you, and was raised from the grave. And then purpose. Sixthly, purpose to grow in living for Him. This is just a continuation of that section of Scripture. So we rest in His grace. And His grace should make us love Him. If you have a form of grace or gospel that didn't produce love in your heart for Jesus. I warn you against it this morning. Because really grasping His grace should make me love Him and want to live for Him. Number six, purpose to grow in living for Him. Look at this. This is the same text. So flowing out of setting our minds on His grace and hoping fully in His grace, it says this in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God not only justifies sinners, He sanctifies them. He, he starts at that point we're born, we're babes in Christ, growing us into the image of Christ. And if there's no growth, there's no life. You ever planted a plant and saw it come up and then all of a sudden, no more growth? You know what? It did. purpose to grow in living for him but notice that's flowing out of grace this is not legalism this is love for Jesus who has died for us now you're in a position you have you have prayed to God you have confessed your sin you have remembered the gospel you're looking to Christ and not your feelings you're resting in his grace and he has caused you to love him so you're praying afresh and anew help me to live for you and show me Lord show me if I'm a Christian where should I look now, look to the evidence of His presence in your life in, by reading Scripture. Notice I said don't depend on your feelings. God will confirm, but you, you get it from Scripture. The book of 1 John was written that you might have assurance. Not that we might take chapter 5 verse 13 out and stamp it on people's foreheads. The whole book was written that you might read it and know that you have eternal life if you have it. So go to the book of 1 John and I'm just going to give you some summary points. <clears throat> here's characteristics that John points out that will be true in the life of a believer. 
One, faith in and love for Jesus. Two, love for brothers and sisters in Christ. A true love that is self-sacrificial. Like His love. Three, hatred for and repentance from sin. I'll give you one. There's more, but rejection of sinful world and its ways. But the two that you see over and over and over in scriptures are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for the saints. Now I can kind of relate to that. Before I was saved, I wanted nothing to do with church people. They were weird. <laughs> they still are. Okay. But when God converted me, suddenly my heart shifted and I wanted to be with these weird people and learn about this Savior. But faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love. If you, if you struggle with assurance, read 1 John. If it takes your assurance away, you didn't have any. Turn and trust in Jesus. But if you're a child of God, God will use scriptures like that to confirm you. And then a second place. Go, go pray through the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. God, have you worked in me a heart that loves you. Not perfectly yet. But is there love for you in my heart? Is there love for neighbor? Is there love for my brothers and sisters like Christ? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy in you. In your ways. In your truth. Peace. Because the war is over. You've died for me and been raised for me. And saved me and reconciled me. Patience. It's God making you patient. See I told you he's going to do it anyway. But as He made you more patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So in other words, look in Scripture for evidence of what it means to be a Christian. For markers of, 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 the, of what the Spirit does in the life of the believer. And compare yourself to that. Don't compare yourself to other people. I used to do that all the time. I had a friend who was just seemingly just always on fire for Jesus and 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 I compare myself to him and it was like, man, I, mm, I'm not one if he's one. Right? Compare yourself to the Word. We're all in different places of growth. So the, I'll give you those again in case you were writing them down. Pray. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Confess your sins. Psalm 32 and 5 and 6. Look for perfection only in Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Don't trust your feelings. Rest in His grace alone. 1 Peter 1.13 Purpose to grow in living for Him. That's a heart that's purposing to love Him. 1 Peter 1.14-16 And then look in Scripture for evidences of what it means to be a Christian. I can only give you my testimony because I don't know anybody else's inner life and heart. God has brought me out of a lack of assurance every time. Eventually, through these things, and especially through the scriptures. Reading First John, a little booklet by J.C. Ryle, Evidences of the Work of the Spirit or something like that. Anyway, it goes through First John and the, and the evidences of a Christian. And I look at those and, 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 and I'm told, don't look for perfection. Is it even there? Is it there in seed form or, or blade form or growing form? Do you trust and love Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, are you trusting yourself or something else to say? Mm -mm. Do you love the brethren? Yeah, weird as they are. 
and I am. Right? And down, on, down, on down the list. See, faith, listen, if you don't know this, faith is a fight. Faith is a fight. It's not automatic. It's a war. Paul said this at the end of his life. Right before he died, he wrote his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says this, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Because God was at work in me. Spirit working through the word to point me to Jesus and keep me in Jesus. In Hebrews 3, a little bit farther down from the warning verse, it says this, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And one of the ways we hold our original confidence firm to the end is through this godly self-examination. The men I mentioned up front seem to have lost the fight. They have not finished the race. They have not kept the faith. Time will tell. We leave judgment to God. We pray for them and for their repentance. But my point this morning is I want you to win the fight. I want you to finish the race. I want you to keep the faith. And so I lay before you the seriousness of the Lord's Supper and God's way of us examining ourselves and growing in grace. Keeping the faith will not happen without godly self-examination. And listen, it's not just self-examination. It's community and helping one another. But this is a part of the Lord's Supper, so I bring it before you. So let us examine ourselves and take His Supper. Take it in a way that glorifies Him. Take it in a way that is good for us. And let's flip Socrates. Okay? Not judo, but that's the quote. The examined life is well worth living if it's examined in Jesus and by Jesus and leads to a fruitful life in Him. To live is Christ. Let's pray. We are about to take the Lord's Supper. And so I want to give you this a, a moment or two to put into practice what we just talked about. Cry out to God to search your heart, to try your heart, to show you if there's any grievous way, to convict you of sin if it's there. And as he does, confess it to him. And to others if it's necessary. One of the warnings we're given is we're bringing a sacrifice and we have something against our brother and sister to go and make it right. I mean, if you feel conviction now or during this service to go somebody and, and confess, that's okay. We're good with that. But confess the... The sins he reveals. Ask him to show you your sin. If any grievous way is in you. Ask him to show you if you have faith. And then look to Christ. And his perfection. Maybe today. You acknowledge you don't have faith. But you're convicted of your sin. And you're willing to receive Jesus as your savior. Look to him. Call upon him. Ask him to save you. If you're his child. Look to Him. Trust Him. He's your perfection. 
just take a few moments and examine yourself, confess your sin. Take this warning seriously and we'll move on from there. I'll give you a second. Father, we bow before you and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We confess our sins and any particular sins that you reveal to us. We confess them to you. We, t we desire to be free of them. By your grace, we turn from them. But we confess them to you and pray for your forgiveness and cleansing. We trust you for it in Jesus, Lord. Help us to love you as you have loved us. To live for you as you have lived for us. To rest in you and trust in you and walk with you. Heal hearts at this moment, Lord. I pray that you'd grant assurance to those who are really your children and not really feeling it or thinking that they have it or being unsure. I pray that you'd grant repentance to those of your children who are not dealing seriously with their sin and maybe seeking to hold some secret from you not repent of it pray for those of us who know you and all seems to be well that we would freshen anew look to Christ in faith and Lord for those who might not know Jesus yet who might are not trusting who haven't received Christ as their Lord and Savior that you would work in their hearts even in this moment that they might turn and cry out God have mercy on me a sinner Trust in you, Lord Jesus. Something, there's no particular prayer. Save and sanctify your people and help us to honor and love you and help us to participate in the supper in a way that glorifies you. Oh God, have mercy. We thank you that you do and are. You are long-suffering and forgiving and kind and gracious and merciful. And all your commands are for our joy. Work in our hearts. For your glory and our good. We give you praise in Jesus name. Amen.